a special podcast, um, and this week I'm joined by John Pitts. Welcome, John. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Although I'm slightly disappointed you haven't brought Glyn with you. <laughs> yeah, no Glyn. This no no Glyn on this one. I think yeah, we do the special ones without Glyn. So yeah, thanks, John, for joining us on the podcast. Um, so I guess a good place to start with. So how would you describe your role at Shrewsbury Town? Okay, so it falls under the general remit of performance, but that's probably specifically the human element of it. Um, so my, my career has spanned different areas of human performance, so um, the sports science side of it, fitness uh, specifically. In my early days, I was a fitness coach at Brentford Football Club with Steve Koppel, so uh, a long time ago now. Um, and then sort of more latterly, um, I, I've worked quite extensively as a psychologist uh, and also that sort of filters into sort of neuroscience. So I sort of play an overarching sort of viewpoint of basically preparing the players and the team um, to be as cohesive uh, as possible and to perform to the best of their ability. Um, we're very big on uh, developing players here. We're, we'll probably talk about it a bit later on, but we're very much a sort of a, a development club. Um, players will come here to, to grow, and that's something that um, we have an overview of, of as well. So probably falls into three areas. There's the, uh, the overall team development and trying to get everybody on the same page and you know, grow a, a really strong team. Um, looking at the mental element of it as well uh, to make sure that you know uh, our players are as mentally prepared for what they do and then as I say overseeing sort of the physical side of it as well. Okay so would you then so you work in, on the, the team like collectively and then individuals as well or is it is it one or the other or is it a bit of both? Uh, it's a bit of both so you know you might have seen as you've come in here um, the the uh, the decor that's that's changed since you were last here. Um, so we're very much sort of designing the environment and the culture to you know it's all angled at what we're trying to achieve. Um, and I know you've, we've got a question about culture later on. Um, but then within that as well, there is obviously the team functionality. Um, we look at different personalities. We profile the players. Um, we look at how we perform under pressure. Um, and uh, alongside that, we also break it down into into either units or individuals. So, you know, it might be that we're working with uh, the defence or or with the striker specifically, all trying to build that sort of intuition as much as possible. You know, especially when we've had such a high turnover of players, we want players to develop that wavelength as, as quickly as we can. That sort of mutual understanding of how they work together. Okay. So when you say profiling players and profiling people. Um, I've worked for big companies, Mondelez and Molson Coors, um, been on management courses and things like that. When you say profiling, is it like the colour profiling of like um, people's behaviours or is it different to that? So I um, haven't used the, the colour profiling here. I mean, you'll all have come across things like MBTI or, um, I mean, there's a whole host of them and they're all tools at our disposal. Um, we've done some basic profiling in terms of personality traits. Um, with, with this sort of uh, work, Often there's an ability to be able to go into so much detail, but it's the simple things that work quite well. So, you know, we're just trying to understand how our players best learn, um, how we can get information into them. You know, it's it's a weekly, uh, I wouldn't say struggle, but it's it's a weekly task to try and get the players to understand what we want from them. There might be tweaks to things tactically um, and making sure that that information lands in a way in which they can deliver it on a Saturday. Okay. Cool. Um, so to kind of set the scene, um, I'm, yeah, we're in the, I guess, what, how do you describe this room? It's more, we're, in a, we're in a room in the training ground and there's a tactics board behind me and I can see the name of players. There's 
nothing tactically given away. But um, interesting question, John. So do you get involved in tactics at all? No. So um, I think that's something that uh, in, in the past has been slightly misunderstood, maybe. Um, no, the tactics is down to the manager, Graham, uh, and, and perhaps Joe as well. Um, they very much work through what they need. Um, that said, it, it is in, in my uh, my job role to understand what they want tactically because I need to make sure that the players are able to deliver that. So, uh, But I'm certainly not involved in the decision-making of that. My job is to make sure that the players then take that information and, and are able to deliver it. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, so um, how did you get into elite performance? What's your, what's your path? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's, it's, um, and it's probably quite a long-winded answer. Um, I mean, I, a very, very long time ago, I did have a brief, uh, I wouldn't even call it a career. I, was, um, I, I played football for, for Wickham. Um, I, I basically, the, the school I was at, we won the Smith's Crisps National Cup, which dates me horribly. <laughs> um, and I got invited down to, uh, to Wickham where Martin O'Neill was the manager. They'd had a... Uh, a very good time. They'd got promoted to the football league. Yeah, I remember those days as a kid. My dad remember they played the baggies in the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, won the FA Trophy a couple of times, and I mean, I, and I, I certainly didn't feature in the first team environment, and I very quickly knew I wasn't good enough. But working, you know, just being in that environment around someone like Martin O'Neill was, uh, was it sort of really kind of piqued my interest in in sport as a whole, and especially football. Um, so I studied sports science at university. Uh, Brunel University and then whilst there started working at Brentford and sort of worked my way to work with the first team there um, and that was a fitness coach yeah as a fitness coach yeah uh, in the very early days of fitness coaches where fitness coaches were just sort of doing stretches and things like that there was none of what we have now um, and that sort of it, it's been a, a weird journey there from Edwards because I'm probably a little bit different in that I've worked in lots of different sports um, I've been very lucky to work with elite performers across a whole host of different sports. Um, and I guess that's mostly because my work is slightly different. As I said before, I, I sort of dip into all the different sort of aspects of performance as opposed to being in one of them. Um, and that's very much my role now in the different organisations that I work within um, is having a, an overview and sort of a general design and uh, uh, management of what goes on. Um, so. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's sort of grown from there, really. But I've, I mean, I've, I've been very lucky to work across Formula One, um, tennis, rugby, football, cricket at the highest levels. Um, I've been involved with some world record attempts, and um, so certainly been to four Olympic games as well. So um, it's um, it's been a wonderful career, really. Okay, was there, is there anything particularly different? Like obviously, in terms of the output, football and Formula One are very different, but. Um, is it quite different environments in terms of the people you're working with? Obviously, engineers and 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 drivers versus footballers. Is there what's kind of the biggest difference? Yeah, look, it's you're working. Uh, this is going to sound dreadful when I say it. Working in a Formula One world, you, you're talking to some of the brightest yeah. people you can come across, and that's everyone's not saying edu- everyone's university educated or, uh, and uh, top of the field. Absolutely, and then some, and you know that they come with their own quirks. Um, you know, they are brilliant minds. Um, and often the job is about, you know, actually helping them to simplify things down and, you know, trying to get people like that to collaborate, for instance, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, then also it's certainly the, the demands there, everything's about the car. Um, so my role has, you know, it's taken time to bed in, you know, to point out that, well, actually the, the human's in control of the car and, and the car will go faster if the human's in a better place. And then the, the other part of it is, you know, we look after the 52 people who 
travel worldwide with the cars um, to make sure that they're in the best possible place as well. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, but, the, I mean, there are the similarities as well. This is very much, you know, it can be two games a week. You know, you're, you're picking yourself up, you're moving on to the next one all the time as well. So um, it's a pretty hectic schedule. Cool. Thank you for that. So now you've explained your your role, um, would you say your role is quite unique in, in football? And I'll kind of add on to that as well. Is Would you say it's just many other League One teams are, have someone doing a similar role to yourself at the club? It's an interesting question. I think, um, and, and this is where I probably, being sort of the person uh, that I am with my skill set, it probably complicates this slightly. Because if you said to me, has the mental game become far more important in football or in any sport? Absolutely, it has. Um, you know, I, I would like, I would suggest there's probably quite a few League One teams who have some sort of psychological involvement at, at some level. Um, but when it sort of goes, uh, because I go across the disciplines and, and things like neuroscience where, you know, we're, we're really looking to try and understand form. So, you know, what changes, you know, so a player in form, you know, we know what they're capable of physically. So what changes and why can't they deliver that when they're not in form? What, you know, what changes? And the reality is that the brain is the central driver of what we do um, and how it functions and, and how it copes with the environment and the stresses that are placed on it. You know, we know that it has a change in how the body operates. So um, I'm sort of crossing over different things. So um, I probably am a little bit unique, although, as I say, from a, from a psychological point of view and the mental side of the game, um, I think there's probably a few things going on. I mean, I, I mean, Gary Johnson, for instance, at Bristol City, he works very closely with Bill Bezik. Gary Southgate's very known for being a big believer in what psychology can do. Um, you know, and, and I think you'll start to see it more. Even someone like Arsene Wenger, you know, I mean, obviously... You could probably go as far to say as a coach, he was probably quite a good psychologist as well. Um, and I think it's important really to, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't choose to be involved in psychology. It was something that sort of almost found me because the, the skill of the job essentially is to be able to have a conversation with someone and, and build their trust and then, you know, get into sort of how they operate. Um, traditionally, you've had a lot of academics flooding into the, the area. Um, and of course, these are guys who are, they know far more about psychology than I could ever know, but they, they, they struggle to have a conversation. So, um, but it's definitely changing now. And I think you'll find that, you know, certainly players are coming around to the idea of, of psychology a bit more as well. Okay. And would you say in the Premier League is probably a bit more prevalent, obviously more resources, more people, or yes. is it more depends on, okay, so, so the top end is, is a bit more common? Yeah, I, look, it'll fall down to budget. Yeah. Um, I'd have thought there are probably some League One clubs that you know they will prioritise other things, and and that's that's probably fair enough. Um, I've worked closely with Sam now for for a long time, right throughout his career, and you know he's someone who who sees it as you know a valuable role. In some ways, what you're looking to try and be is the glue that operates around all the other sort of functional parts, um, and that's really sort of the way we look at things here. Cool. Thank you. Um, so it's interesting. I was listening to a, a podcast last week. Um, Gareth Ainsworth was eventually asking and hoping that he was going to get offered the Lincoln job on an, inter- on an interview on the Totally Football Show podcast. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting because obviously they've had a really good start to the season. They, they did pretty well last year. Um, and he was talking about that um, he's implemented a culture at Wickham um, and it's really contributing to their, their success. Um, so kind of turning that around to Shrewsbury, on what kind of culture are you and Sam Ricketts trying to implement? Yeah, so there are several factors that come into it, and I, I think it's important to say that I mean you might have experienced this in your in your corporate world where you know you sit down in front of a, 
a big whiteboard or something and someone says, well, this is the culture we want. Uh, ultimately, a culture develops and continues to evolve. Um, and we've certainly seen changes in the club since we've been here and, and some of them are, are deliberate. Um, so, you know, from a cultural point of view, you, you don't lay out too many specific ideas of what you want until you, you, know, you get all the players in the building and you see how they start to respond. Um, I think, you know, if we're being honest as well, we've, we've obviously brought in a lot of players. The transfer window's only just gone and Wimbledon was our first opportunity to, you know, get all the players um, in. And, um, you know, we're, we're very keen now to see how they develop. That said, you know, we do, uh, we do bed things around, you know, certainly a hard work ethic. Um, and, you know, we're looking for, for commitment from them and, and togetherness. So um, we have when we go about our recruitment process and, and understanding our players we are very big on making sure the right characters are in this building the people who will uh, not just work hard to know their job and deliver their job but they'll help others to deliver their job as well um, so yeah those are the sorts of areas that we focus on but at the moment you know it, this will evolve throughout the season um, and, uh, and it's very much a case of sort of monitoring it and keeping it sort of topped up as we go along so, so part of the recruitment process has been players' characteristics and their personality being quite key in terms of the squad formation. Then, hundred percent, yeah, yeah. It's look, you know, when you're trying to when you're trying to do something, um, it, it's okay. I, I, I use a sort of the term sort of mavericks, if you like, you know. And, and again, you probably come across this in the corporate world. You know, you can have your people who, on any given day, are you know unbelievably good at what they do, um, but that often comes at a cost because they're, they're difficult to manage in and around the team environment. Um, now, if you can do that, that's fantastic. Um, if you can't, then it starts to cause problems. It's fine while everything's going well. Um, you know, and I, I, I'd always use the example of someone like um, Kevin Peterson within the England cricket team. I mean, it's been quite well documented on Sky recently in terms of, you know, you almost sort of see the two sides of the argument because they, without doubt, there were four or five players within that dressing room who were equally part of the problem. Um, so, yeah, having the right characters in this building is vital for what we want to do. In your role, um, like, do you have a vision of your, for your role or what you're trying to kind of get to? Like, would you know when you're kind of, um, it's a bit of a cliche term, but kind of like what good looks like in terms of your vision? Do you have a vision for, for what you're trying to do at Shrewsbury? Yeah, and I'm, and I'm really glad you've asked that. I think um, I would hope that it's becoming evident to the fan base that, you know, we, we haven't just come in here on a short-term whim and, and so much of football is is short-term, but we we are genuinely, this is an opportunity for us um, and we're looking to try and, and, and build something. So, you know, over the summer, or even before that, and I think we probably asked it to you guys, you know, we're, we're sort of saying, well, you know, the club's, the club's established now, the chairman has done a fantastic job, you know, you own the training ground, you own the ground, you know, everything's a good in good shape compared to you know some of the recent cases we've seen so it's like great okay here we are all the stats say that you know whether it's um, budget for the players wages whether it's you know performance or whatever it might be everything says that Shrewsbury Town's sort of roughly around about sort of a mid to lower league one club now we're not going to settle for that but the question becomes well what is the next step and we've asked you know a lot of people you know what do you feel that is now you go through the Hurst season and, you know, what a fantastic season that was for you guys. Ultimately, if the club had gone up into the championship, how would it have fared? Um, 
And the reality is, is that, you know, it's not just the players on the pitch, but it's also the resources around uh, the team that, you know, need to be in place to be able to, to survive at that level. It's a big step. So what we're looking at uh, and what we've uh, we presented to the chairman and, and to Brian, and, and they've been very, very good at supporting it, is uh, a growth plan, which first of all looks at saying, well, how do we get this club into a place in this league where it's in the top half consistently and, you know, with the potential to push for playoffs. Um, if you look at the teams that are in this division at the moment, you know, you could quite easily draw up a list of 10 who should be in the championship. So, and they're clubs with significantly bigger budgets and, and resources than us. But we feel that we can compete with them. And actually, you know, you go out every Saturday and you they become 50-50 battles, these games. You know, we... Yes, we've got a lot of work to do moving forward, but you know we do feel that every week we've we've got an opportunity to try and do something. Um, but we're sort of trying to move away from that, you know, little old Shrewsbury and you know small Shrewsbury. We we want to get to a place where this this club stands, you know, well in its own right. So, and then the next stage of that would be, you know, okay, how do we make this club championship ready so that if we were to have the season that everybody wants to have, how do we go up and in a way in which we can stay there? Um, and a lot of that means looking at the resources again that are available behind the scenes. So, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, most of the players that you'd expect to be in the top seven or eight of this league, you know, they will have a, you know, they'll have a physio, an assistant physio, and probably two or three ther- um, therapists as well. You know, we're operating with, with Jordan and Greg, and on a daily basis, they've got to try and get through the soft tissue management of the squad. You know, that's. If you do the simple maths, if you're trying to give each player 15, 20 minutes, that's that's a significant workload. Um, so that, that's an example of some of the things. Now, look, that's not we're, we're very well equipped here. The, the chairman has made sure what we've got here, including this room and the facilities we have, you know, we're very well equipped. But it's just a case of laying down what that pathway looks like to be able to to get up into that championship and, and how we we work well there. So you so it's an interesting point. I haven't thought about the physios. So yeah, I guess every, all those little all those little elements of the course of a season will have a have a big performance difference. Not only so obviously we played Ipswich, Ipswich recently, and Ipswich spent half a million on a right back and have two champ well potentially two championship strikers in their team, let alone John Nolan and many other names. And yeah, you add in I guess add other elements like physios and other different elements. You add yeah, adding a, com- a competitive advantage to other teams. And that's what we're competing against. Yeah, and you know I mean you, you see some of the players like. Um, Steve, Steve Morrison, you know, or, or Edo, you know, they, they've come down from sort of championship clubs and, and quite rightly, you know, you know, they have to adjust to the fact that we can't quite give them what they, what they used to have and, and they've been very good at that. And, and let's also be really clear, you know, we're not using this as an excuse. We, we like the challenge of the fact that, well, no, we'll, we'll do it with less. We'll, we'll make it happen. And, you know, again, as I've said before, the, the chairman and Brian have backed us in what we want to try and do so far and, and that's been brilliant. So, yeah, we're happy with our lot, but you know, but equally, you know, we want to keep pushing for that growth so that the club, you know, you're talking if we want to operate at a level sort of above where we should be and in a sustained fashion, then we have to resource that correctly to be able to do that. And are you and Sam quite pleased with the, the transfer window then where we've ended in terms of your plan and your vision? Are we on track in terms of in terms of recruitment so far? Yeah, we are. I think, and again, I would I would hope that the fan base can see that, you know, you look at the players who, you know, have left the squad, so it's been a huge turnover. You go back to January, obviously we made quite a lot of changes there. Then there's been the changes 
um, over the summer. Um, and, you know, the reality of, of where those players have moved on to, I think actually it was something that, that you might have said, but, you know, a lot of them are in, in League Two. Um, and the, the, the calibre of the players we brought in, um, it's we, part of what we've looked at, again, in, in, in this plan is, is looking at, you know, well, how do we attract players to Shrewsbury? Um, and the reality is, is we're, we're quite transitional. So what we want to try and avoid, number one, is what happened after the successful Hurst season, which was, you know, a, a tearing apart of the team and a complete rebuilding exercise. Um, you know, in lots of ways, John Askey had a huge task on his hands. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, we're in a position to retain a, a core or a spine to the team that then can be supplemented and added to. Equally, it is part of the business model here that we would obviously look to grow players and, and it would be a stepping stone for them. So as I say, we have to accept we're quite transitional in that fact. Um, so we've done quite a bit of work at looking at where these players will, will come to, come from rather. So, you know, you look at a Roshan as an example, under 23s, you know, the players, he's come out of Manchester United and, and needs to come somewhere to you know, really get a foot on the ladder and, and establish his career. Um, so from that point of view, coming back to what we were talking about with the resource, we're very big on development and we're very big on trying to create a reputation here for being a place where players can come work at their game, perhaps work out what's missing and what hasn't quite clicked and help them to do that. Sounds sensible. Um, some fans would probably say, you know, we should be trying to keep players, but I think it's, yeah, it would be um, naive of us not to think that, you know, there are bigger teams out there and teams will progress and even something talking to Paul Hurst, something that he said as well, and Brian has said that yeah, we might might be a stepping stone for players, but that's not necessarily a bad thing if we're making progress at the same time. No, and I think look again, what what I hope has sort of been noticed. I'm sort of saying this a lot um, is that you know we haven't just you know in certain scenarios in the last twelve months we haven't just been pushed over and allowed players just to, to go, um, and equally you know so you know they have to go for the the right price um, equally. Um, we're also, you know, very keen that we understand that, you know, we do have to keep moving on because it is it is the business model. It's yeah. something that, you know, that's what keeps the club in such a strong place. Um, so we need to be mindful of that as well. So how do you transition? So obviously in the last few years, we've had quite a few ups and downs. Obviously Paul Hurst left, we had John Askey, then you guys came in. So how do you think you can kind of have some long-term success? How do you kind of, how do you can kind of, I say, steady the ship? Yeah, so, and, and, and this is a frustrating thing, is, uh, and a lot of my job is about managing the, the short-term expectation with, with where we want to get to long-term. You know, we, we fully understand in, in this day and age, you know, and it's all being created by technology, you know, having information to, to hand in an instant and this immediacy about, you know, oh, you know, we want to be winning games and of course we do. We, we, no one likes losing. Um, and uh, so, you know, we recognise that, you know, we are measured by every 10 games and we measure every 10 games um, on our success. And we understand that. But equally, you know, I mean, if you remember, so Alex Ferguson famously was, what, one or two games away from the sack? Um, you know, and you look at sort of what comes on from there. We're, you know, re the reality of what we've talked about just there in terms of, you know, the, the long term progression of the club is it takes time and it takes stability. Um, we like to think that we're the right people for that. And certainly, you know, whilst we were only at Wrexham for 20 or so games, um, one of the major pulls was the opportunity to come here and do something long term. And the chairman, you know, very much sold us that vision as well. So, you know, it, I guess 
we're aware that sometimes the, fran- the fans can get quite frustrated and we certainly hear it and you know we, we can completely understand that but equally you know what we're trying to get out is a message to say look we, we get that and we we hope that the work we've done there are signs of what we're trying to do and, and that seems to be growing on a week by week basis um, but equally it's an understanding of what we want to try and do long term um, for the success of this club thinking on like a, a different level and it's like a different point I think I always found really fascinating so like how long, how big a role do you think psychology plays in the performance of individuals and teams and maybe I'll give you an example and it's always obviously lower league fans would always see this and you know if they have success so you know you have a, a game where you play you have a bit of a giant killing and then the following week you're you know away at you know, a less glamorous location, and you put in a bit of a, a bit of a dog's body performance. Like, what do you th- what do you think happens there? What because you kind of alluded to earlier about that's what you're trying to work to do. So, like, what do you kind of what think happens goes through players' minds in that in that scenario? Well, so when I, when I saw this question written down, I thought, well, that that's probably almost half geared to some of the results we had yeah. last season. Which, um, you know, again, I mean, from a fan's point of view, I can completely understand. You know, where you're coming from. I think if look, let's use the context of last season. Um, certainly, when we when we first came in, I think you know from a from a squad perspective, we were very reliant on the same players playing week in week out in key positions. Um, if you and if you've got no pressure for places, it, it's only human nature that people will, you know, they will lift themselves for the bigger games and they won't be as motivated or you know the tiredness comes in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, the the psychological thing, it, it's not deliberate you know it's quite subconscious but that you know so there's an element of human nature in this so of course you know we, we try to build a squad that um well it's competition for places and options in every department um which to to a large extent we have now but then you know working on an individual basis um one of the things i'm very big on is that every player themselves understands consistent performance you know so it, everybody says to us in this league, you know, the, the managers have been successful. They say the one thing that gets you out of this league is consistency. So from an individual point of view, what we, what we look at is something called secure basics. So understanding uh, an individual's game and them understanding their game enough to be able to know that, okay, on a daily basis, these, these are the things that are my basics. This is how I deliver. You know, this is what I need to deliver as a consistent. And, and what we're trying to do is create a focus within their position, um, within the system that we play, um, so that it becomes just a, a regular thing of, of what they're doing. Confidence is, is built. Um, it's not something I, I can't give them magic pills. Um, well, I could, but it's illegal. Um, you know, we can't give them magic pills to give them confidence, but it's built over time of doing the same things, you know. And again, this is where we find in, in this day and age, you know, the, the immediacy of everything, that actually everybody wants everything overnight. But the reality and, and part of our culture that I alluded to earlier is that repetition is important and, um, you know, just being prepared to go the extra yard and, and keep pushing. So, um, as I say, there, there's there's some mindset examples in terms of what we'd like them to focus on um, and then the general culture of what we're doing as well. So after, say, say we were lucky enough to have a, a good a good third round tie, a big club, we have that big win. Would you be doing anything different in the week after that? So, you know, a big FA Cup win on the Saturday... And we've got a, a team at the bottom of the league, and let's say Bolton, for example, and they, you know, they're just they're just tanking goals every week. Would you do anything different in preparation for that that game? Once you've got the options in place to be able to 
um, to, to manage the basics that I've just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we will look to, to monitor people off the back of that. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's the, the physical effort that goes into maybe pulling off a jar and killing, as, you, as you've put it. Um, but we'll certainly be aware of where everyone else is at as well from a, from a mindset point of view. If I'm honest, I like to think that the culture we have here now, together with those aspects around the squad and, and the options we have, I don't think we'd have the same problem. I'm now worried that we'll get a fantastic yeah. draw in the FA Cup. And that's the thing, you, you can do all be... this work and then if someone just slips over or misses a pass. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But and, and you guys will probably batter me for it, which is which is fair enough. But, um, you know, like I said, a, a lot of it is in the, in the preparation, how you build things in the first place. Um, we were so reliant on the same players every week, you know, before. Um, so I think we're in a better place from that perspective now. But in terms of, I guess, in terms of talking about where the team is now, um, we're at the start of a journey, aren't we? In terms of the formation of this, the formation of this team, and it being consistent because we're not consistent yet. Um, but I guess that's something that's obviously a big, big driver and a big drive for you guys to try and get to that point. Yeah, and look, you know, I mean, you guys, you, you, you know, you know your football, and 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 you're right. You know, we obviously we've recently added to the strike force, and you know that's seen, you know, obviously more of a goal threat. Um, there's no secret in that, you know, a lot of how Sam likes to work is, is built on a strong defence. Um, you know, I know people will say that's slightly ironic after Tuesday night. Um, this is definitely a team that's learning. I think someone put out a stat that, you know, I think it was, what, five or six players, you know, at, you know fairly young age, under 23 or something, you know, were, were featuring the team. Um, we've, um, yeah, so... It's, there's definitely a, a lot more consistency to come. Um, we've only really, you know, with the injuries to people like Norbs, you know, we've only really sort of just got to a point of, you know, starting to bed in what we want to try and do. Gossy coming in has been a great addition. The lads at the back have, you know, they've started the season really, really well. Um, and there's definitely an, an evolving nature to sort of how we're trying to play. Um, and, you know, I think we are, we're starting to see bigger patches where, we're getting what we want uh, and I hope the fans can see that um, but equally you know there are times where you know people are perhaps you know they're out of position or they're making mistakes and you know it's important I think again coming back to the culture that the best way we're going to move forward here is you know we want to eradicate any fear of failure we want players to be to feel that they can you know really make a decision and go for it and uh, and you know then we'll learn from it as we move forward. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's not a question I've prepared. A kind of line of criticism that the players are almost coming, coming almost robotic in terms of how they attack. But when we met Sam before, he was saying he wants players to have freedom. Um, and yeah, you'd say probably the most successful teams attack in lots of different ways. Um, so are you, is that something you encourage or are you, are you encourage the players to have freedom when they play? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, where Sam's very good is, is tactically he... He's very good at understanding the opposition and, and say so he'll change things. That said, you know, we're playing the way we're playing and there's a certain amount of um, underlying sort of foundations that have to go into how that system works. So, and, and, I, and I can understand it, you know, um, I think probably sort of the early games that we've played, there is, a, you know, it probably does come across that way. Um what you can then do, though, once you start to get those things in place and the players get used to it and, and their roles within it, um, then that sort of freedom builds on top of it. Um, 
and also you know it's it's having the individuals in in the key places who are, are making those decisions and pulling the strings so um yeah i think well again i'd like to hope that it starts to evolve on that front so it's interesting so you, you did an interview i think it was in portugal with ian um um in the and you in there you, you you talked about the fans and you did an interview and it's it's quite unique i'd say in terms of being a shooter town fan and kind of obviously have running a doing a podcast you do get to see what other clubs are doing as well because i follow other podcasts and things like that um so i think it's, it seems quite unique to me and you, you might obviously you'll know as well because you're in the industry um why do you feel it's important to kind of do these kind of interviews you know have the meetings with sam ricketts where you met some of them the different groups like why why is it i'm quite interested to know like why why you want to do that well i think the first thing is the world's changed i mean i've I've talked about sort of technology and, and social media and everything else so you know the days where you know you could lock the door and no one can see anything and you know they're gone and um you know we have to accept and understand that you know if we don't give you any information then what you're going to do is is find your own information or or come up with you know your own version of information and you know at the end of the day what we're after if we're brutally frank is that you know we want to get many of you guys behind the team behind what we're doing to give us the best chance of getting that longevity to to achieve what we want to try and achieve so you know, to do that, we've got to engage with you guys. You know, there's no point in just shutting the door and, and you know, closing down. You know, Sam himself, you know, he will make the extra effort, as he has done with the fans, to um, to engage with you guys and answer your questions. And, and, you know, genuinely, I thought that first meeting we had, you know, I think there was there was quite a lot of frustration which came into the room. And, and hopefully you went away understanding a little bit more and, you know, he wasn't going to answer all your questions. But, you know... You, and, and by doing that, then, you know, what we're seeking to do is, at the end of the day, you guys are a big part of the team. And it's, it's, that's no cliche, you know, that the players, the players hear your support, you know, they'll come in and they'll, and they'll say, you know, Christ, the, you know, the, the fans were, you know, they were, they were really vocal tonight. They were really, you know, really behind us, you know, equally, you know, they're aware when it's quiet and, you know, they, they hear, they hear certain things. They're, they're not immune to it. And so, you know, by doing that, what we're trying to do is, yeah, give you an idea of what's going on at your club because at the end of the day the more engaged you feel with it then the more you're going to want to support it so to us that that makes perfect sense we're, we're more than happy to go the extra mile to do it um and and i think it's a good thing it's interesting interesting one about the fans do um do the players talk about the fan reaction things like that after the game is it something that is, is, is do you hear it discussed how big impact do the i guess my question is almost how big an impact do the fans have on the performance of the team I think certainly the the extremes. So I, I think you know when when things are very good and you know and the crowd are you know are, are really in a in a in a vibrant place. I think they they would definitely notice that. Uh, and equally, you know, when things aren't quite clicking, you know, you, you do hear things. We 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 do hear things in the dugout as well. There's there's some wonderful characters who you know sit just behind us, and you know it's a bit like being in the Muppet Show. You know, where it's like boo, get off, you rubbish. Um, you know, and look, everybody pays their money, and and that's absolutely fine. We accept that comes with the job, but genuinely speaking, we want you guys to be pleased and happy. Now we know we can't please everybody and make everybody happy, but um, you know we want to try and do that. Okay, um, and then in terms of fans, as um, did you see the Steve Morrison interview? Uh, yes, yeah. Steve for football. Yeah. Um, it was quite interesting when he talked about social media, um, and he was talking about kind of the impact of social media. Um, 
in terms of it can have a, a kind of positive impact, but also particularly negative impact. I remember hearing about an England footballer who would like not sleep and just look at Instagram and messages about himself. Um, like, would you advise players to use Twitter and Instagram? Like, do you ever do you talk to any players about that in the past? Yeah, look, we do um, quite a lot. I think we covered it a, a bit before. Um, Sam certainly throughout his career just didn't engage with it. Um, it's again, I, you know, I've sort of covered the topic several times, but you know what technology and social media in particular is doing to us is it's actually driving us more inward. So we're actually, you know, we're losing the ability to be able to have simple conversations and engage with people, which is as humans we're designed to do. Um, the players are human beings, you know, they're and we do a lot of work to not just sort of within the performance environment, but to manage them in their uh, and to help them in their home environments as well. So, you know, we would always, to be honest, advise players to stay off social media just because you can't win. And, you know, whilst it's great to get all the likes when things are going well, equally, you know, it's very easy for someone to be able to to target people, as we've seen recently, you know, with some quite high-profile cases where, you know, people can be pretty horrendous on these things without any kind of... Um, there's no guarding against it. So... Um, and, and as I say, you just can't win. So, um, yeah, we, we do advise people not to use it. Thanks, John, for joining us on the podcast. It's been really insightful for you to give us some, some insight in terms of what you're doing. So I think there's been a few myths that, yeah, I think we can clarify that you won't be deciding for playing 4-4-2 or 3-5-2 in, in, in the future and picking the team. Um, so, yeah, really big thanks for joining us on the podcast and, yeah, really big thanks for your time. No problem. And, and again, thank you for everyone for their support.